On You Don't Know Dick, we, with the help of friends and special guests, look at the film and television career of actor Dick Miller. On this episode, we're looking at Jonathan Kaplan's Capra-esque neo-noir trucker action film White Line Fever from 1975. Base. Welcome to You Don't Know Dick, the career of actor Dick Miller. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the pig pen to my rubber duck, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Why don't I get to be rubber duck? Why do I have to be pig pen? Liam, have you ever listened to the uh, the full-length version of the song Convoy, the full Convoy song that I'm referring to with these two two titles, rubber duck and pig pen? No, I had no idea what the reference was. Okay, do you know what Convoy is? I've seen the movie, I think. Sure, yes, Sam Peckinpah? I've seen the movie, but I, I mean, how long is the full version of the song? I don't know. Long? Lengthy? I mean, it was a big hit back in the 1970s. For our younger listeners, which would be just about everybody, I would hope, uh, <laughs> there was a song in the 1970s, which is all about, like, CB radios, people on in trucks talking to each other on these CB radios. I got to be honest, I don't remember the plot of Convoy, either the movie or the song. Maybe our guest can help us with that today. But there was such a fascination, Liam, with these big tractor trailer trucks and the culture amongst them and the friendship and camaraderie. It was a big deal in the 1970s. I think that's why so many people probably decided to become truckers for a while there. Like, it, yeah. it was a career that a lot of people I knew uh, as regretful adults had chosen in their wild 70s time. Yeah, every trucker was a good guy right up until Twin Peaks came out. The trucker in that, he wasn't such a good guy. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Liam, if you had to have uh, a name, like a trucker name, like like uh, one of these uh, rubber duck type things, what would yours be? I guess it really is kind of, when you think about it, the precursor to the anonymity of the internet was CB radio conversations between truckers. So so I guess it would be like, yours would be Liam Rules. That's what you would say. This is Liam Rules here on the No, but that's not on the box. That's not, that's not trucker. Uh, let me think. Sure. Uh, how about Brown Lightning? Does that sound good? <laughs> is that what you think of yourself? As? Yes. That is exactly what I think of myself. <laughs> Liam, our guest today is a writer and co-founder of TheShelf.com, as well as editor-at-large at Art of the Title. It's Will Perkins. How are you doing today, Will? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, Doug and Liam. Uh, Will? Yes. Will? Yes. I got a great big convoy across the USA. <laughs> What do you think about that convoy? I'm I'm reminded of the Simpsons episode where I first heard it. I don't even think I've seen the movie Convoy, but but yeah, and those are about the only lines I know from it. I, I, is it from that movie? Yeah, well, no, the song came first. This is actually a great. I'm glad that you brought that up, Will. It's one of those movies, one of those rare movies that is an adaptation of a song. I feel like we've covered that on one of our podcasts before, Liam. We have we cover actually. A, what was the movie that we watched that was adapted from a song? I literally don't remember. What was, was it? On Kane, maybe? I can't it was on Carol Kane, maybe? It was on Carol Kane, right? <laughs> no, I guess it wasn't Carol Kane. What was it? I don't know. I guess we we should just stay here thinking about it. But if you, if it does come to mind, Liam, please blurt it out. But yeah, Convoy was a, a hit song turned into a movie directed by Sam Peckinpah and starring Chris Christopherson. And what I remember about this movie, it, which isn't nothing about the plot, is the trailer for it, which plays a lot of the song. Like it played, it's basically just the song with clips from the movie, which I think is basically what people wanted. But uh, Will, like yourself, my first exposure to the song "Convoy," which I feel like we've been spending a lot of time talking about, <laughs> was that Simpsons episode. Um, but anyway, uh, Will, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a very long time since we got to spend any time together and you were very nice not only to come on this dick miller themed podcast but to choose the film that we're going to be talking about i needed to divert you away from all the heavy hitters so you went for a deep cut and boy i'm glad that you did but before we get to all that will what do you think about dick miller the actor dick miller the actor he's like uh he's he's a great guy uh he's like a a, a grouchy comfy uh -huh. warm blanket um mm -hmm. You know, I think I came to him uh, like a lot of people did, you know, through the works of Joe Dante, like a lot of people for, of my generation. Sure. Um, first saw him in, uh, in Inner Space, which I think a lot of people think of as like lesser Dante, mm. but it's, it's, it's way up there for me. And I think he plays like just like a, you know, a crotchety, grouchy cab driver who's confronting a nude Dennis Quaid, as you do. 
And I just remember saying, we watched that movie so much when I was a kid. We had like a tape, taped off pay-per-view kind of copy of it. And just remember thinking, I like this guy. I don't, I don't know what his deal is. I don't know what he's about, but I like his vibe. I like his energy. And then, you know, as you sort of discovered more of Joe Dante's work, Gremlins, The Burbs, he kept cropping up. I'm like, what, what, why is this guy in all these movies? Like, what's, what's his deal? And, you know, ended up seeing him in The Terminator. And, just, you know, he just kept cropping up. And, and he just, he, like I said, he's like that that warm welcoming presence, but also kind of like scary at the same time. Like he has that like <laughs> uh, angry father figure energy. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but uh, no, it's yeah. very accurate, especially when you think of his, his most famous roles and like something like gremlins or even just the Joe Dante kind of oeuvre in general. You know, the weird thing, when I think about Dick Miller, when I was growing up and seeing him in these different roles, because I didn't have any information about like, where all of these filmmakers came from, which actually ties into the movie that we're going to be talking about today, mm-hmm. right? With the Roger Corman background and things like that. Dick Miller didn't seem like, like the fact that he showed up wasn't an Easter egg at all. It was, hey, it's that guy, right? It's that mm-hmm. guy, uh, Dick Miller. But like he, uh, some of the people that are in that that orbit of the Corman school, they're there, like it feels like you, they kind of stick out because maybe they don't seem as kind of polished as actors and things like that. They feel a little bit more like an in joke. But with Dick Miller, he just seemed to fit in with those kind of roles. He just was really perfect playing those, like you said, kind of grumpy, crotchety roles. It's like he he looked like that even when he was sort of a young guy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I like I didn't I didn't come to movies like Bucket of Blood or or even the original uh, Little Shop of Horrors. So I, I, again, I, I was not a Corman guy. I was a Joe sure. Dante guy. I was mm-hmm. like, this is how I knew him. This is how I came to know him. And then discovering later that he was kind of there as like part in joke, but also you know another part, just sort of like guy we can count on to bring it, no matter how small the <laughs> role. Uh, you know, for this for the Joe Dantes of the world, so for the Alan Arkishes, for the for the Kaplans, like it, it was just, it, it makes it sort of sweeter in retrospect that like he was their good luck charm in a lot of ways. Now you're a Star Trek guy as well, aren't you, Will? I am, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Dick Miller had a very memorable part. He, he probably did indeed. Already, in, in a Deep Space Nine episode, one of the great Deep Space Nine's two-parters. Two-parters, uh, Featuring yeah. Dick Miller. I'm actually, mm. even though I know Liam will push back against it, I'm thinking that our next episode might actually feature... That and in fact, if you had thought about it, Will, you could have forced us to watch those two-parter. But instead, we're going to be talking about White Line Fever in wow. just a little bit. I'm, surra- I'm surrounded by nerds. Surrounded <laughs> by nerds. It's a great, it's oh. a great episode, Liam. It's a great episode. Two-parter. I, I mean, time travel. They're in. They're in. They're in our look, present day. Look, it's yeah. great. Look, I hear what you're saying, but in my world, Deep Space Nine is the thing you watch. Because uh, the next generation's over and you haven't finished lunch yet. So you just watch whatever comes on after Next Generation, which in my area was Deep Space Nine. And I'm like, oh, this. Okay, here we go. Liam, I don't want to criticize your area, but uh, I am afraid that I must push a little bit against that because those in the know, which include Will and myself, I, uh-huh. I can actually maybe Will will push <laughs> back against me here, know that Deep Space Nine is the best of all the Star Trek series. No pushback for me. Yeah. I mean, we all know it. And though, yeah, I get you like to hang on to your. I mean, Star Trek The Next Generation is cute and all. <laughs> but Deep Space Nine is serious sci-fi for serious people. So, I, I mean, I, now I feel, I feel more convinced than ever. No, you're right. You've proved to me that you are not a nerd, and I've unfairly judged you. My bad. I mean, well, most times, Doug, I wouldn't watch Deep Space Nine. I switch over to the other channel and watch the Highlander series because that's where my heart really lay. Was Dick Miller ever on that? That seems like something yeah. I mean, I'm sure he was. I don't fucking know, man. I don't know. That I was filmed in Canada, right? I mean, your 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 fascination with Canada started at an early age. All these shows, all these shows are things that I've probably watched many times, but I don't actually. I mean, I think I've probably watched every episode of the Friday the Thirteenth series, but I don't also remember. But I don't remember a single moment of it. Side note, the thing you were thinking of, Doug, is the episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man based off that weird country song. That country song, you're right. And I had everyone talk about what uh, what mo- their favorite movies that were adapted from songs were. And Liam, do you remember what you said? I was don't... it Ode to Billy Joe? <laughs> I don't remember, actually. It might have been Convoy, actually, because no, I, I do so. like... I do like the movie Convoy, but I've never listened to the full song. I don't I don't know it was nine to five. Nine to five is 
probably still my answer, actually. No, I remember that was your answer. And then I think we all yelled at you because we brought to your attention that 9 to 5 was actually written for the film. I believe I think that's correct. You are correct. But then I don't, because I didn't remember Convoy, I don't remember any other movies based off of songs. You know what's even better than having a boring conversation at the beginning of a podcast? Rehashing another, an old another podcast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Will, Will, <laughs> Will you uh, you went into the Dick Miller filmography and you pulled out White Line Fever for us to watch. Yes. What made you choose this film out of all films? Well, it's funny you just said like you were you were pointing to the you know this show. Oh, well, that was filmed in Canada. Oh, that was filmed in Canada. Mm-hmm. I saw. I was going through Dick's uh, massive IMDb page and, and looking at stuff, and, and I came across White Line Fever, and it said. Oh, it's a Canadian American production. I'm like, oh, Dick Miller in a Canadian movie. This, I, this is new to me. I have to see this. Um, little did I realize this was just like some tax shelter dodge, like from that era of of Canadian movies, where you know a bunch of real estate guys had just put up the money, and I guess Roger Corman was only so happy to oblige them. Uh, and it, there's not a single Canadian in the movie. But was not filmed it, in Canada either. Was not was filmed, filmed in like as yeah. far from Canada as as possible as you could possibly be in Arizona, I believe. But uh, yeah, it just you know it, it struck me as a as a as a as a, f- a fun option. I, I I'm not a huge Jan Michael Vincent fan. I never really have been, but I have a lot of affection for Damnation Alley, which I guess is another truck themed uh, <laughs> JMV uh, vehicle. And and you know I, I saw some screenshots of Dick Miller in the movie, and he lo- he looked happy. He looked smiling, and I was like, this this is you know I don't I don't see this man smiling very often. So. Uh, let's let's check it out. Let's see what's about, and and uh, and here we are. And I, I, I it, it was it was it, it ruled. It was good. It was great. What I want you to tell me about, Will, is your thoughts on tractor trailers and truckers, the people who bring things from to to fro. You know, they're bringing all these items. They're delivering them. They're taking stuff back. I feel like, and this uh, this might be a controversial subject to d- delve into. There was this thing during uh, just last year. Uh, they were called the Freedom Convoy. There were these group of truckers, and they, well, let's not get into the politics of the whole thing, but I have to say, I have a kind of a negative opinion of them, Will. You might feel differently, and that's perfectly okay. Um, <laughs> but, I'm, I'm uh, on the same page as you. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't you worry. Yeah. But I feel like uh, the, the general uh, idea amongst people of my political persuasion regarding truckers has maybe taken, you know, gone a little negative over the last couple of years. What do you think about truckers? Are they the heroes as they are presented in this film? I think that there are heroic truckers. I think uh-huh. I think trucker dumb tr- the the truckers in general are sort of a microcosm of society as a whole. Maybe I mean there are, there are good truckers. There are jerk truckers. There are more jerk truckers than I think we all realized here in Canada Oof. until recently. But <laughs> but no, I'm not going to paint paint truckers with a broad brush. No. There, there's good. There's bad. You know everything in between. It's uh, but they exactly. do they do good work. They they, they make, do good they make, work. They make the you know our 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 two countries. Uh, run in so far as they they run in any way shape or form that's working for anybody. Liam, do you think you could handle mentally driving like a twelve hour shift, you know, across the country back and forth, like like just constantly? Would you be able to handle that strain? Um, I don't think so because when I have driven that long of a time, mm-hmm. it makes me a little bit crazy. So. I did drive about, I have driven like about 16 hours before uh, because um, <clears throat> when you'll remember, Doug, when I moved out to Chicago, uh, I had a bunch of stuff left at my old house. So I borrowed the van from the church and I drove back to my old house and loaded the van up with all this stuff that we couldn't fit into our U-Haul. And then I drove it back. But rather than break it up like a normal human, I stayed at a hotel near my old house, and then I drove it back in a one, in one shot, in 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 one take, and uh, that was about it wasn't quite sixteen actually, it was more like fourteen Oof. and a half, but whatever it was, it was bad. I, by the time I got here, I was like, "What's wrong with me? Why did I just do that?" It felt awful. I felt like a monster. Quick question before we take our break and then come back and talk about White Line Fever from nineteen seventy five. There's a movie called Big Trouble in Little China. You remember this movie, uh, Liam? Mm-hmm. Stars a trucker, right, uh, played by Kurt Russell named Jack Burton. Going over to you, Will, do you think Jack Burton would have been a member of this Freedom Convoy? Uh, 100%. He, yeah. he would have just, he was a very sort of like go with the flow kind of guy, if I recall correctly. And, and he would have gotten swept up in the fervor. He would have put, put a, a big flag or several flags on his truck and just been, 
you know, down to start some shit as he yeah. usually is. But you know what? Here. Uh, I would. I wish I could say I disagree, but I have to say I'm right on board with you. Unfortunately, uh, heroic character Jack Burton. Yeah, member of the Freedom Convoy. Uh, if anyone listening has any opinion regarding that, please leave us an email over at cinemasmorrisport.com. Just before we finish up, Liam, any thoughts on that? Jack Burton, uh, Freedom Convoy. I, I I do want to suggest that perhaps the story of Big Trouble in Little China is that uh, Jack Burton um, does all that stuff despite being actually a giant asshole, that that's kind right. of the point of the movie. So maybe he wouldn't have been on the on the right side of history. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll just have to keep thinking about it, Liam. We're going to take a little break now. When we come back, it's 1975's White Line Fever. He's only going to get you dead, man. They got the muscle. They own the law. You're under arrest for the murder of Dwayne Howard. They terrify his wife. Take the deal and let's get the hell away from here. He's a working man who's had enough. Deputy Dog, you know who this is. You call him and tell him I'm coming here. Ride with Carol Joe on a trip you'll never forget. In 1970s Arizona, a young married man becomes an independent long-haul driver and he risks his life fighting the corruption in the local long-haul trucking industry. It's White Line Fever from 1975, directed by Jonathan Kaplan, the director of Truck Turner, the the classic punk film Over the Edge, Liam, you must like that, Project X, The Accused, and of course Unlawful Entry. Hey, Unlawful Entry, doesn't that have uh, Kurt Russell in it? Uh, Just like we were talking about, Jack Burton himself. Written by Jonathan Kaplan, one of only two writing credits that Jonathan Kaplan has, the other one being 1977's Mr. Billion, starring Terrence Hill. Liam, that's pretty exciting. Uh, Jonathan Kaplan also directed Mr. Billion. Are you a bit of a Terrence Hill fanatic? No. No. How about yourself, Will? I, I could not tell him apart from Franco Nero for years, so I can't Well, really no, that's say. pretty... I mean, he, he actually uh, kind of traded on that a little bit, didn't Yeah, he? I, mean, I mean, they were the same man in my head for years, and I was like, oh, shit, it's, it's, it's a different guy. No, I no opinion, really. No opinion? Well, I do like that movie Super Fuzz, uh, also known as Super Snooper for some fucking reason. Uh, and I watched those Trinity movies when I was a kid. Anyway, co-written by Ken Friedman, who also <laughs> wrote Mr. Billion, as well as the Robin Williams starring comedy Cadillac Man and the female western Bad Girls, which was also directed by Jonathan Kaplan. The director has said about making this movie uh, in, an, in an article titled Keep on Truckin'. Published in the monthly film bulletin on the 1st of February 1989, he said, Politically, I was trying to counteract the right-wing vigilantism of some of the pictures that were around at the time. And that is something we're going to get into in just a little bit. Starring, of course, Jan Michael Vincent as Carol Joe Hummer. Kay Lenz, we're seeing Kay once again. Uh, we covered... Moving Violations, several episodes back on the Dick Miller Podcast. Slim Pickens, L.Q. Jones, who just passed away in 2022, as well as a lot of other familiar faces, uh, including the great Martin Cove here as Clem, and of course, Dick Miller as Bertie Corman. Uh, This is a movie that I did not have a lot of uh, knowledge about whatsoever going into it. In fact, if I had heard about it at all, maybe I had seen the trailer, I would have thought it was just like one of a stream of of like car chase truck chase movies from this time period had very little expectation going into it and i think that we're probably that opinion was shared by both my co-host and guest here today but i'm gonna start will you came in you chose this movie for us you already kind of gave it away a little bit what did you think of white line fever I, I really I really enjoyed it. I, and, and like I said, I'm no I'm no Jan Michael Vincent fan. And, you know, I just I, I kind of don't get him. I, I, I just see this blonde, wiry dude. I, of course, know all of his troubles that he had later in life. But, yeah, I was just like very pleasantly surprised by just how into it I got and how like, uh, you know, it was it was. Uh, this really cool slice. I mean, I don't know what the trucker life in Arizona was like in the <laughs> 1970s, but it felt like an interesting slice of just like, you know, in that sort of like Michael Mann way where you just sort of go deep on a profession. That movie is just about it. They don't, they don't explain anything. You're just in it and you get to see how it works. Um, if this is indeed how <laughs> trucking in Arizona in the Southwest United States worked, I mean, it looked like an interesting life. And then you add this whole, you know, criminal dimension to it. I also enjoyed the fact that that every single person in this movie has the goofiest fucking name, like <laughs> Carol Joe, C.J. Hummer, Buck Wessel, Pops, Clem, Birdie, and then all of their trucks have cool names. It was just, it was you were just in it, and and you know, I, 
I don't know why CJ, Mr. Air Force hotshot guy, is driving trucks instead of flying planes like maybe he should be. And I don't know why the Air Force taught him to be such a, you know, shotgun toting badass, but it works for him. And he's, you know, he's, 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 uh, he's out for justice and, you know, truth in the American way, whatever you want to say. And, and uh, later yeah, he hooks up a with blast. a futuristic uh, uh, helicopter in the television series Airwolf uh, several years later. And he also has a, a silly name in that, like what is it, uh, Stringfellow something, <laughs> Stringfellow Hawk. So, but I, I also, I also just appreciate that, like in the 1970s, in the mid 1970s, you could have your hero protagonist, uh, you know, masculine American man, be named Carol. Like it's, I, I don't, I don't, it's, just, it's just conceptually funny, and um, no, it was, it, it was a lot of fun, and 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 went to a place where, um. I kind of didn't expect it to go, which was just like very sort of pro union and, and, yeah. you know, just stick it to the man in like a really awesome way at the end of the movie. Shockingly. So, yeah. And yes. I think, you know, going back to what Jonathan Kaplan had to say about this being kind of a response to some of the harder right wing action of the early 1970s, we'll get into that in just a little bit, but it is something that really hit me while watching it was that it felt so different from a lot of the action movies of that time period, but also that the plot structure of this, this kind of like individual guy just wants to raise his family, doesn't want to get caught up in any of these, uh, the, the politics or the corruption in his business and finding no way to escape from it. Like just trying to, to work hard and be on the straight and narrow and everything is pushing him to do the wrong thing. And, you know, and I, what I love is about three quarters of the way through the movie is all the things that he does to get out from under those thumbs are then used against him and almost puts him in jail for life. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's just this, it's this, you know, I, I described it at the beginning as a, as a Capra-esque film. And that might be a strong or a strange word to use in regards to a movie like this. But it is that kind of Frank Capra, you know, one man against the system idea that you see in something like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And I, I have to be honest, I felt almost inspired by the end of it. But also, this could be about any profession. If you are a listener who has no interest in trucks, believe me, I I, I join you there. <laughs> but but the, this movie, could you know, it really could be about almost any profession that has corruption within it, which these days is just about any profession generally. Liam, you have kept your opinion on this film close to the vest. And now I'm super curious. Now, we've joked around about your political leanings before, but I know that you're kind of a lefty at heart. What did you think of this lefty-ass action movie? Well, let me mm. start with just uh, uh, on the surface before we get to the ideology of it all. There is something fun here if you like the kind of like uh, crash focused car movies of the 70s because there's a couple of truck crashes i wouldn't even say a couple there is a handful even of truck crashes in this that are just really great it's i love that i just love we're, we're smashing some trucks we're doing one of the more irrational uh chases of the 70s the fucking mac truck chase the, the, the whole point the the one thing you learn if you ever try to learn how to drive one of these fucking things is that like stopping them is near impossible. Like, it's just like, you know, that you just got to plan if you're going real fast and you're going to want to try to stop, you need like a mile to do it. And if you don't have a mile, you're fucked. You're just going to crash into whatever it is that's in front of you, let alone the tendency to jackknife and all the other fucking shit you got to learn. I mean, there's a reason you need a very special license to even drive one of these fucking things. Right. Sometimes so, you see the black dog too. Remember the, the Black Dog, uh, uh, Meatloaf, and Patrick Swayze. Black Randy Dog. Travis, yeah. And yeah. Randy Travis. Remember that one? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, 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 I'm just going to keep going. I don't know. So, so all of that is is cool. I also do appreciate the very like, – there's a sort of like uh, rednecky beer-drinking thing to this. Sure. Uh, even like the mob justice angle at a certain point, I'm kind of stoked on. Whatever, whatever. I do got to say, though, like, it, it, I, I didn't realize at first what we were getting into here. And, and as it was kind of focused on corporate greed, I was pretty excited. But uh, a trend that starts in the 70s and really comes to a point in the 80s is the idea that, like, we all need to band together against rich people and their greed. 
but only to the point where we never actually become socialists. Whatever we do, we need to avoid <laughs> socialism at all costs. So even their little union, they're like, I mean, it's not a union. It's just a bunch of friends. We're a bunch of friends who are truckers who would certainly not associate with an official union or a nationwide organization, let alone anything that would smack of actual socialism. Uh, and in the end, we kind of need a Jesus figure because the only way we can all band together is if there's a figure kind of similar to Jesus. So if we can have that, then it'll be okay. And that is like that. Did is you really a- expect this movie? They're all in like they're all have like worshiping Lenin at the beginning of the day. <laughs> like, well, the- no, Doug, no, Doug. But uh, uh, associating with an actual union would be cool. Like like an official one would be cool. Or even just showing like uh, the yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that they resort to violence when they do. That's great. But uh, <laughs> but. One of the basic tenets of getting people together is like some sort of like mutual aid. And like a lot of movies have shit like that. It's actually not that rare uh, to see movies like that. But there is also this whole like, man, I sure do hate rich people. Oh, well, kind of trend in movies. And while this one, it's a little bit further than some of those other movies. uh, I do get a little like it's a thing where I like it. I like that this is a thing that we do in these movies because I also hate rich people. But if we could just take one closer step to like maybe if we all kind of organize. But even this like only really they're willing to organize around like mob violence. But like something past that they're like, I don't know. We couldn't really do that. That's that's what commies do. And that part I find a little bit of a downer personally. But, uh, you know, as far as a fun 70s movie where things get blowed up and people fight each other in tight jeans. Yeah, that's cool. It's cool. It's a cool movie. It's very cool. But uh, but uh, the the whole thing here, where like this is somehow a movie from the left. I'm like, the I guess as close as like the Hollywood is willing to go. But this is even a Hollywood production, so it could have gone a little further than it did. Let's put it this way: it's no spook who sat by the door. But but it's no, pretty fun. That is but true. it's pretty fun. <laughs> well, they actually wanted this movie to be released, Liam. That probably was the problem. Right <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair point. <laughs> You know, collective bargaining is just a hop, skip, and a jump from the hammer and sickle, buddy. So I think I think they're all moving in the right direction by the time you get to the end of this movie. He's walking out of that uh, that hospital, right? And he's moving right into his role as head of this new union. You just don't know what's coming next, Liam. I just he's feel like... Gonna, he's going to be murdered within six months. Again, like him, <laughs> they're going to try to kill him and his wife again. Like, he's he's now he's now just destined for that. He's There's no... There's no it, the ending of the movie felt pretty bleak to me, actually. I, I saw... Yeah, her, yeah. Like, that part where she looks out the window and you're like, oh, right. This is actually, he's actually made himself more of a target now. 100%. (laughs) Uh, The director has also said that he was more influenced by Sergio Leone and other Westerns of the time when he was putting this movie together, which makes a lot of sense when you consider the supporting cast. There's a lot of familiar faces, including, as I mentioned, LQ Jones, of course, from The Wild Bunch, Slim Pickens from (laughs) a thousand different Westerns. Actually, Slim Pickens and LQ Jones have been in many Westerns together, but there's like a lot of kind of familiar faces from that genre generally. Sticking with you, Liam, did you get a Western vibe while you were watching this? I mean, in the sense of uh, the, the the way it first gets started, you know, he's he's facing down these corrupt, sort of powerful, you know, uh, almost like robber baron types, you know, sure. the, the mm-hmm. these local. The, I mean, that's one of the vibes in westerns I really dig. It's like you get to a location, and whoever's got the money in that location, there's no justice for that person really, unless you go against them, because there's no sort of uh, of uh, a greater authority to appeal to for justice. You know, uh, outside of that, though. It's just a bunch of trucks. I mean, I guess it's in the West because it's in Arizona. But other, I, I don't really. I, I, I guess if I was going to say yes, it would be when he makes that run up to uh, Salt Lake City, and we right. see that I, a lot of that felt very much like filmed like a western. But outside of that, no, I didn't get much of a Western feel. What about when he pulls out the shotgun and he just, you know, he uses that to get what he wants, right? He he just points it at people indiscriminately. I don't think he <laughs> thought that. I mean, he didn't think that through. I just love that he, like, you know, demands they give him yeah. a job yeah, at yeah, gunpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, so they're they're just going to accept it on the other end? Like, this is like this is your plan here, man? Like, Ill, very ill-conceived. But, but it's, I yeah, it was, I, I see the Western vibes, you know, clearly... Um, you know, folks like Kaplan of this generation, you know, they were raised by these Western movies. But by the time they were making movies, there was no, you know, appetite for for cowboy pictures. So they ended up having to sort of couch it in these in these other genres like, you know, mm-hmm. 
Peter Hyams, you know, wanted to remake High Noon in the 80s, but he ended up making High Noon in Space in, That's right. know, in Outland. So it's like, the, you know, even like just the, the, the Western mugs, like the faces on these guys, the, the Peckinpah actors, the, you know, the place that the, the, the truck depot is called Red River, you know, famous, famous right. Western. So it's just like, there's clearly a lot of love for the genre, but there was no way, I guess, financially at that time to actually make it. And, you know, I love, I love exchanging trucks for horses. It's, it's fun. It's fun, but it's not, <laughs> it's about as much a Western as, as anything else at that time that was sort of aspiring to, 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 to do it. I mean, your point is well made, Will, which is that by this point in filmic history, there weren't a lot of po- popular Westerns being made. Most of them had to be couched in other genres. I, I like the idea that this is kind of, this, even though he is connected with a partner in this, even though she doesn't have much of an effect on the plot as a whole, that the Jan Michael Vincent character is sort of this lone wolf guy. That he, It's not that he is great at planning things. It's more that he is, he's, he basically tries to connect two points. I need this work. This is the way that I get it. If I can't get it this way, I'll get it another way. And he's this problem solver, and he'll do anything to get to that other end. And he's also getting increasingly desperate as the movie goes on. But yeah, the idea of forcing someone to give you a job at gunpoint, you know what that gets you? A lot of rotten avocados on the other end. That's all I got to say. Now, you already said, Will. Please, yes, Liam. But... Every time he gets got, it's because he's still a naive idiot. Like that's the part <laughs> of the movie that like started to get on my nerves. And again, when when I say uh, the Christ figure thing, it's not just because he has to suffer uh, at the end and drive his truck through the glass house uh, and, and then is lifted up as a messiah. I mean, they literally go on strike. Not really. I mean, <clears throat> if you read the Wikipedia, Doug, it, it says. <laughs> That they go on. Did they, you even watch this movie, Liam? Or you just read the Wikipedia? <laughs> no, I was trying to. I was trying to remind myself because the ending seems so obviously anti-group organizing that I thought, like, when you didn't bring that up, I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong and I got to read it again. But, but I'm reading this Wikipedia and it says they go on protest to to to. Uh, to uh, pro, you know, against the corrupt practices and in honor of him. But the actual line in the movie, which is why it struck me so hard that I that I wrote it down, is they're on protest in honor of him. They don't actually say the protest is because the glass house is so corrupt. They're just in, on protest because of him, which is a very religious thing, which is like mm. very much to me. The problem with a lot of these movies, it's like uh, uh, criticizing corrupt system only makes sense in honor of a martyr or of something. And they, and granted, he's not dead at the end, but he's certainly gone through a lot of pain and suffering in order for people to finally see that yeah. maybe the system yeah. isn't so good. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I don't. Anyways, I, I don't want to push that point too too hard, but I do. Liam, think he's just our weird. cool hand, Luke. Man, he's another cool uh, again. Hand. Well, but uh, well, okay. To, Lee, we don't to, Lee, to Liam's point, they they you know the closest they get to actually organizing is they get in that boardroom. They're all sitting around the big table with the you know the head honcho of the glass house or whatever, and or you know one of his his lackeys, and he just stands there. He goes like, "Well, y'all fellas know how I feel about it, but it's totally up to you." Like he's not like urging them to do this. He just sort of like throws it out there, and it's really left open ended. There's no there's no like mass movement until. Like Liam says that, like, come to Jesus, like, sort of, you know, uh, we got to get behind this guy because he's this guy, not because we have to improve our lot in life. Look, it takes a charismatic leader, and that's what they have, a charismatic leader played by Jan Michael Vincent. And you know, Will, (laughs) you mentioned before you're not a big Jan Michael Vincent fan, and we're going to put aside the fact that he was uh, gotten to some shit later in his life and died early because of it. But I think... And this, I think this is not an unpopular opinion in regards to this movie. I actually think he's really good in this. I think he actually pulls off, even though he is very naive, as you mentioned, Liam, I do think he has sort of a weird charisma to him and a likability that maybe comes with the fact that he looks so young in this compared to how I usually think of him. But, like, he really, he's a very physical actor. He obviously does a lot of the stunts himself in this. I really was on board with Jan Michael Vincent in this movie in a way that I don't think I've ever been on board with the Jan Michael Vincent project. <laughs> uh, aside from this, you mentioned that you're not a big fan, Will, but what did you think of him in this movie in particular? I, I, like, he's very he's very watchable. And, and you, <laughs> you, you, you totally, you're totally rooting for him and his, his you know, his life. He's, he's got this, this the bank, he owes money for this truck. It's his entire... Uh, uh, you know, life is 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 wrapped up in in what he's doing. Again, if he's such a hotshot pilot, why isn't he flying commercial? Probably a lot more money doing that. But um, no, he was. Look, 
maybe I have to go back to the the JMV well and like seek out some stuff from this era because you know by all accounts he was cast in the movie because some producer was like that Jan Michael Vincent he's got it and they they kind of like foisted him upon the production but no like he, again he, he's the right guy for this this role there's not much really to it but when you're surrounded by just like a bunch of character actors and you know western looking mugs um it's it yeah to have like a you know a, a blandly handsome you know wiry young guy at the center of it like of course you're gonna root for him blandly handsome what a very much damning with faint praise here he's the clint eastwood of the late 1970s he is the man with no name here clint eastwood is the clint eastwood of the late 1970s. and 80s and 90s yeah, and 2000s <laughs> liam what did you think of uh, jan michael vincent in this uh, it's fine i guess any any uh any performers stand out to you aside from him aside from of course mr dick miller who we'll, we'll be talking about in just a moment <clears throat> Um, that's a fair question, Doug. Uh, Did you feel bad when Slim Pickens got pancaked by that fucking <laughs> tractor trailer? And how? <laughs> uh, only because he was. I mean, he he's kind of a dickhead in the movie, but he. Uh, I don't think he maybe knew about the fucked up avocados again though why don't you take a look in the fucking truck when you pick it up <laughs> you like already know one. these you know these guys are coming for you like you don't think the look in the truck but anyways so he doesn't look in the truck Liam, he had to take his coffee to go he doesn't have time to look in the back of the fucking truck <laughs> oh man i mean ugh. uh but yeah like i i do think that the slim pickens character is not he he doesn't mean in that case, he, he but he is corrupted by the system. I, sure. I guess I, I guess I feel kind of bad because he's getting even more, you know, he's getting like the double cross on this one and, yeah. and getting slammed. But but also he's kind of an asshole, and they really suggest that he's like a a, a gross sex pest. So like, <laughs> I, you know, I I think at that point I don't have a lot of compassion for him. Uh, but but I do like the idea that he is. The setup, that, and in this sense, I think there's something here that is always worth talking about. That like a lot of times, the morally corrupt bad man that you're dealing with is really just the the puppet of much more powerful people who probably are a little bit more uh, disciplined in how they uh, enact their corruption. That's why they can have power over someone like him, right? And like I get that, like that as you go up the ladder, there's more and more corrupt people but more and more powerful people who probably don't have their shit out you know what i mean like the slim pickens he's just the asshole who's messy right but as you go up the chain they're less and less messy i appreciate that thought process uh but uh uh you know it, it's it's kind of like when it comes to performances you know the 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 jerk offs on the golf course I, I, I kind of like the, the, what they're doing, but they, they, they're not as exciting as the as the dickheads down on the road actually doing the stuff, you know? What about Pops? Pops. So good. His reaction yes. shots in, in the truck in that one sequence are just like tremendous uh, just more entertaining than the the crashing trucks somehow I do I do like I do like him a lot. I gotta say that Pops' kid he's a bit of a brick wall that one i don't i didn't really buy that too much i like that his son was absolutely right that you get in with this fucking crowd of this this crazy fucking white guy and it's like he's gonna get you killed right exactly what fucking happened that is true Uh, yes lq jones i think is is actually fucking amazing in this he's such a slimy little weasel (laughs) but i love that part where he's like kind of that there as you were mentioning liam there's even people above him right there are people who are more disciplined that are more professional that are more slick and it's just like and and there are parties that he is not invited to as well i just like it i just like the idea that this corruption goes so far up but slim pickens is his father figure who gave in, right? He, he's the he's the future for Jan Michael Vincent's character if he doesn't hold firm. Mm. And I kind of like that. I like that there's kind of these different levels. He's not an evil person like some of these other guys are. He's a guy who compromised. And that's what this movie is about, is someone who's uncompromising. And guess what? He's probably going to die because <laughs> that's, that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, Liam, now that I had a question here about other leftist action films, but because you don't actually believe this is a leftist action film, I don't know if I should still ask it. I did put a call out on Twitter because of what Jonathan Kaplan had to say about this film, about what people think of, you know, about movies. I was hoping mostly from this time period that people consider 
to be left-leaning action films. Some of the answers that I got included included uh, Siege, aka Self Defense, the Love wonderful that movie. Canadian great movie action movie. Mm. Uh, John Carpenter's They Live. <laughs> the Steven Seagal uh, Billy Jack tribute on Deadly Ground, The Day After Tomorrow, Magnum Force, the uh, the Dirty Harry film, which is uh, some people interpret as kind of a response to the criticisms of the original film, Hot Fuzz, Fighting Mad, Hard Target, I heard The Running Man as well, uh, Walter Hill's Hard Times, Michael Mann's Thief. Liam, can you think of any what you would consider left-leaning action movies? I mean, I already said the most obvious, right? The spook who sat by the door. Sure. Uh, that, I mean, it is the. I, I would. Yeah, you're right. That is an action movie, and in fact, I think there's a, probably a handful of black exploitation movies from this time period, which, just by their very nature of what the racial politics at their core mean, that they're kind of left leaning. Yeah, I. You know. You know what, Doug? I wish I had some better answers. I think sometimes you find uh, uh, good options that, that kind of fit this category when you read something maybe a little bit more uh, counter the obvious narrative. So something sure. kind of presents as like, oh, no, this is just a normal action movie. But if you actually read into what's going on, you're like, well, I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff going on under the surface. Things that are sort of wearing their politics on their sleeve, I think the best option for me really is they live in that it's it's such an obvious kind of like metaphor for something going on but, you know the, the, that just under the surface are these commands on how you're supposed to be living your life right. uh, uh it's it's a little basic i guess you know but i, I kind of like that i think when you get to movies like the spook who sat by the door where there's no metaphor it's just really a roadmap on how to conduct a revolution <laughs> not that that's not leftist but i think it's a little too like you said like uh, e- even that's not as extreme as it could be, and yet it could not get shown at the time. So right. it's hard. To, it's hard to say that there's stuff that is more leftist than that. Perhaps looking for something that is wearing its politics underneath a mask might be a better fit than. I mean, something like the day after tomorrow. Isn't that that's the that's the <laughs> that seems like a ridiculous. Ver- I, I thought it was kind of a ridiculous one. It's just because it's like the broader themes are about things that people who lean right make, might not believe exists yeah, at all. Yeah, those people are just crazy people. But I mean, like, like you know, They Live has such a broad, you know, kind of satirical point that people who have the opposite viewpoint of the people making the movie have accepted it as representing their viewpoint, right? Some people see sure. it as yeah. like a like an anti-Semitic movie and some people have embraced that. I mean, John Carpenter obviously said they're out of their fucking minds. But I mean, it's weird because when you go broad, when you go broad with Starship Troopers or Robocop, people can misinterpret. People can not find any message at all in it. If they just choose to ignore it, it's just, well, kind of I think interesting... that's, Oh, well, that's just, a, I mean, Starship Troopers is a great example, Doug, where <clears throat> is this, is, is for me, I clearly see a politics to it, but is as soon as you get into satire, do you always miss the, you know, have people who miss the point and then you have to worry about can can your audience even understand what they're watching, right? Over to you, Will. I've intentionally uh, let Liam go on and on <laughs> <laughs> to give you a little more time to think. Uh, even using some of the examples that we have listed here, can you think of any uh, left uh, leaning or at least potentially left leaning action films? I, I think They Live is a is a big one for me. I, I, I'm loath to give Steven Seagal, director Steven Seagal, any credit for uh, On Deadly Ground, just knowing what we know about him now. But that is yeah. very much like you know, environmental. Well, what does it take to change back. the essence of a man? That's what I want to ask you. Uh, in the context of Steven Seagal, I guess selling out to <laughs> Ru- Russia and becoming a stooge for Putin. I, I, I don't know. Money, money, I guess is the. Is well, the oh, fair that. enough. Please continue. Uh, but <laughs> you touched talking about like Verhoeven and then the line between satire. I mean, the, 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 I would not categorize RoboCop or or Starship Troopers as as left wing necessarily no. because right. they still think that all the fascistic stuff in the movie is cool as hell and it's depicted in that way like it's 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 entertaining in like the way that uh you know someone really right-wing might enjoy it but again it's 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 uh, i i would say like a left-leaning action i, I mean th- does the last 20 minutes of blue collar kind of count where harvey Keitel's on the sure. run or like sure. I, I, 
I, I don't know. And, you know, I think I saw in the, the responses that you got, somebody mentioned Thief. Uh, yeah, uh, but I was trying it, to I was trying to work out where that came from. I mean, it's the same idea of a structure that has you under their thumb. But I mean, though that's a criminal. I mean, it didn't really echo for me. Man, stuff always feels more like libertarian to me. Like, yes, yeah. they're work, yeah. they're, they, even if the guys are working class, blue collar, like these guys are loners. They they sort of live by oh. a code, and they they oh. don't expect anyone from any anything from anything else. Anyhow. What about what about uh, the Battle of Algiers? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, th- 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 yes. But I mean, I feel like we're we're really talking about a different kind of action movie here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just the one. It's one of the ones I could think of that actually has a certain amount of action in it, but still is coming from a a, a particular perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or a bullet for the general, something like that. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could just talk about this all day. I'm sure our, our listeners who came into here about <laughs> White Line Fever, I just eating it all up. Well, but I, I, do I, don't, wanna... I don't think it's irrelevant with this no. movie because I do think it's a movie made to have a perspective. Yes. I'd say the perspective is a bit more. It's it's certainly flirting with organizing. But but I do think it kind of falls short when you have everyone organizing for such a personal reason. But I do think it, at least it is a movie falling into that, which is still a very satisfying category of don't the rich and powerful suck. That's still very sad. You know, I mean, that's a still a very satisfying topic, even if it doesn't quite, you know, get to any sort of, you know, well, what do we do about it question. It's what made about should... as palatable as like it can be for like a major motion, like as a Columbia Pictures production. Like they're not, right. they're not gonna have the guys unionize and be like, "Oh, great, we're gonna overthrow." It. Like, like it, you know, it ends on that sort you know of strange it's, note. It's no Z, let's say, which is. <laughs> yeah. I, I I was like, let me find a list of actually leftist movies and see if any of them are action movies. And I'm like, well, Z is a pretty good example, actually. It's it's a pretty exciting film, but it's not quite an action movie, right? Mm. It's just an exciting thriller, you know? So Jan Michael Vincent, in the climax of this film, he's so frustrated. Uh, his house has been set ablaze. His friend has been murdered. Uh, his wife, who was pregnant, uh, she uh, has because was injured in the blaze, and now her baby died, and now he's very... Well, it, it, she was... Uh, let me make that a little bit clearer, actually. Uh, she was pregnant, and uh, she... Um, was unable to carry the baby because of, of what had happened. And he's so upset. He's so pissed off. He takes his truck, the blue mule, and he ramps it through the symbolic gigantic. What would you call the logo? The the thing outside the building of these, uh, of the people who kind of run the whole show. It's this massive, like real stunt with a real tractor trailer jumping through this amazing, you know, it, it's, it's such an amazing moment that they use it in the trailer, they use it on the poster, they knew that this was the money shot, and it's quite literally the money shot. According to the 1st of, 1st of September 1975 edition of Newsweek magazine, the scene where the truck crashes through the corrupt trucking company's logo cost at the time $130,000 US to stage and shoot. That would equate to about $630,000 in 2018. And with inflation, I imagine it's like $10 million in 2023. That's all um, that Canadian uh, Canadian tax shelter money on screen. I just shot. like yeah, we, you know, we've been talking about Roger Corman a little bit. Just the idea, like, Roger Corman probably would have made, like, multiple films with just the budget to do this <laughs> one stunt. But what a, like, it is an incredibly impressive stunt. I do have to say, while I was watching it, if it was a model, like, I would have accepted that as well. I don't know why they didn't just shoot it with a model. I guess that would have been uh, maybe not as expensive, but certainly maybe it just wouldn't feel as epic. Liam, you've talked about some of the... Um, explosive moments in this film. What did you think about this big uh, crash sequence? My least favorite part of the movie. Mmm, interesting. Please explain. He just drives through a big fucking sign, man. There's a building right there. You drive that truck into the building, at least some people are going to die. We're just going to drive through the sign? What a bummer. I really thought it was the ultimate cock block of the movie. Maybe this is why I didn't just accept the movie as fun. It's because it really builds in a very dramatic almost like a tragic way, like, here we go. Here's our righteous violence of the film. He smashes a sign. Yo, fuck a sign. Who cares about the sign? I just, I, 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 it, it was, <laughs> it, you know, of all the things that happened in the film, it's the one part that actually felt utterly powerless to me. Like, mm. you're risking your life so that this this symbol gets destroyed, 
I, I mean, honestly, I think because in the moment it also felt very unsatisfying because I really thought maybe he's dead now. And I thought if this is it, he's given his life so that the fucking side's gone. I'm going to hate this movie. I'm just going to turn against this movie. Uh, but, I, you know, I ended up not turning against the movie. And, and it is <laughs> it is very impressive visually in a sense. But like. Just smash the whole building, man. We're already living in a bit of a in a bit of a um, the the moment he walks into the office with a shotgun and he doesn't just get shot. We're already in a in a, in a ridiculous world. This is not the a rea- It's a heightened reality. So just drive into the building, man. I'll take a model. I mean, I guess that's why, in some sense, when you said that, Doug, like it could have been a model instead of the actual sign. I'm like, yeah, I I really thought it was going to be a model because I thought he was going to drive his truck into the building and blow the whole fucking building up. And instead, he just smashes the sign. And I thought, is that really where we're at? We're we're doing – I mean, because a lot of actually gnarly shit has happened to this boy. I mean, they almost got burned to death. Yeah. So fuck aside, man. I don't know why that even matters that he drove into the. It just feels Liam, 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 Liam. Yeah, small-minded Liam. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, I guess. I, I wish he could have taken at least one of the, you know, the golf course guys w- with them. Like have, have him standing on the other side of the sign and go out slim picking style. Just anything, but like like Liam said, I think it's like that. It was symbolic, a symbolic. Victory. It was I a symbol. It was, yeah, it was the mo- that's that logo was a symbol. Can you imagine those golf guys? They must be so upset. They they have to rebuild their sign. <laughs> it's such a bummer. It's it literally. I I really now that we're talking in the moment, I didn't quite realize it. Now that we're talking about it, if it was not him just driving into a dumb sign, I might have actually been more stoked on this movie. A movie that I still think overall I like. Like I still would recommend it to people who like this kind of thing. But that <laughs> sign, man, I it really bummed me out. I really was like. The fuck are we doing here, guys? I, I I guess it's okay because he doesn't give his life for the sign, which I really thought I was watching him give his life for the sign. In which case, I was going to be like, "This is the worst fucking movie ever." But like, uh, I, but if if he had, I guess what I thought was like, I thought what I was watching is he's going to drive into this building, and they think that they're invincible, but they're not. And when he destroys the building, and for some dumb reason, all these rich people are still in the building. That, <laughs> That's going to be great. That's going to be the tragic ending that I need is this man destroying himself to destroy them. And it's all ridiculous because it would destroy them. But, yeah, I get it. But when he's willing to risk his life just to smash through the side, I'm like, what a useless fucking thing this is, you know? If the if the symbol had showed up more throughout the movie, like if it was a through line, if if the sign was you know there from the opening moment, we see so it, it a few brand, times. Throughout I, the I movie. don't I don't think it, it it felt like it showed up like five to ten minutes before in the movie. Yeah, and no, the more we talk about this, the more I, I'm I'm sort of angered by it. It's like I, I, well, I wish there was Liam, more. You are you are you are yeah. convincing, and I have to be honest. Now that you've talked about it for several minutes, I also agree. There's also one other thing about this movie. I just got to bring it up quickly. This movie feels like it's missing five minutes, and that five minutes involves Jan Michael Vincent's character connecting emotionally with other truck drivers. You know yes. what? You know, just yes. the idea that yeah. like, they just seemed to like, start supporting him out of nowhere. I thought he couldn't, like, he couldn't get jobs. So how did all these people on the road knew know who he is at the end? Where it's just like we're we're supporting our buddy, right? They they all were behind him when he was arrested, and then he got you know. Even how he start he uh, just to connect to the the final topic of today. Even how he gets Dick Miller on his side, we don't really find out. It just seems like one day there's a bunch of guys who are working with him all well, of a sudden. I mean, this is the thing, Doug. The, again, it's all about his dad, which is again why I bring up Jesus Christ because it's <laughs> it's just about his dad. It, I, I represent my dad. Okay, that's good enough for me. Let's the real the nepo thing. baby vibe we're getting from this character. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of not because. That's that is really kind of what's going on here is it's all about the past and not about the present. And also, I mean, this is where this is the other thing where, like, I, I, I yes, Jan Michael Vincent is is supposedly a charismatic guy here. But for me, the kind of charismatic guy he is, is like a real bummer. to me. I, I, I was watching it going. I believe a lot of these people given time might care about this dude, I would hate this motherfucker from the moment he walked into the room. And that was the other thing that was a little hard for me in watching the movie is like, I don't like this dude because like part of the vibe is like, there's not a lot of footage of him. I don't know, hugging the other men, you know? And like, 
and emotionally connecting with them because I think there's a, this feeling of like, well, truckers don't do that or something. And I don't like that. I don't know. There's just something about it where <laughs> I, I, I'm willing to accept that these guys would just go, I don't know. Carol seems like a stand-up guy to me. And I'm like, yeah, that's gross. It's so gross. But like, yeah, I believe it. You wanted, just, you wanted him to hug more of these guys is what you're telling me. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm also not suggesting anything. But all I'm like, saying they don't, is all the they scariest don't, they men don't I know. They don't see each other except, except when they're grabbing coffee. They just know each other, their voices, just like – us, you know, I, it's just I, like the, the Twitter. I, I think, is exactly I, think what it is. I, agree, I, I agree with you, Doug. There's there's a sense in which um, the the director is choosing to show us more explosions than mm. um, bonding, uh, and and I I think some bonding would have helped because it, it's it's or, or to put it another way. Do we need as many shots as we get of the truck just driving down that one fucking highway? With the thing <laughs> in the back? There's there's just a couple moments where where some character development could help. I mean, I, I guess that's fair. please please. No, I think one of my first notes that I wrote down as I was watching it's like these other truckers are rightfully dubious of this this little hot shit who shows up. Like he gets yeah. on the CB and he's like, "Hey, I'm a trucker now. Like <laughs> look at me, guys. Like like I just I wanted the response on the other end and I expected it to be like, "What the like what the hell are you? Who who, who the fuck are you? Like get out of here, man. You don't know I have no idea what you're doing." Um but you know, going back to sort of like why they support him, I guess they saw him, you know, to continue the Jesus metaphor, they saw him work his miracles and stand up to the yeah. the Romans at the Red River, and and you know, um, they were just down for it. I you know, it's it's. I mean, there's a lot of like glossing in the movie, right? Like when we see Dick Miller get the old uh, uh, corrupt cop treatment, he's got a fucking Fozzie Bear accomplice. Like, who's this buddy that when Dick Miller gets arrested, <laughs> he's got this giant overall wearing hippie type who's like his his accomplice? What, since when do truckers have 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 bed buddies? Like, I don't understand that, that, that whole thing. I thought, we're just supposed to accept like, yeah, you accept that Dick Miller is a character, right? Well, that character has character friends that you just accept are part of the narrative who are also characters and it's it's just there's there's a lot of that kind of glossing where you're just supposed to go along with it and to a certain extent i can go along with it i guess but it would help if i didn't have to go along with it to be fair though i would not sacrifice the mob violence sequence where they're like we're just gonna <laughs> kick everyone's ass to get like fucking revenge for pop's death that part is still kind of badass i'm okay yeah, with it's that. pretty great yeah, yeah. It, well, i mean what i'm hearing here is neither of you understand a understand the trucker code Fair. there are a different yeah. breed of yeah. people mm-hmm. right we can't understand them and b let's talk about dick miller as birdie corman the very specifically named Bertie Corman in this film. Now, of course, Jonathan Kaplan did come from that Corman school of filmmaking, and there's not just this reference with, uh, I mean, Dick Miller being in this at all is sort of a reference to the work of, of uh, Roger Corman. And also, you know, Martin Cove was in that mix at that time. He's in Death Race 2000. And of course, mm-hmm. there's a sequence in here where a character explicitly asks for Joe Dante, which is probably <laughs> who knew that Joe Dante would be more famous at one point than anyone involved with this movie to a certain extent. <laughs> Um, Dick Miller plays well I'll get you to describe it since you're already uh, on a roll here Liam what kind of role is Dick Miller playing in this film um a random extra character that you remember but doesn't really do much I guess I don't know he's he's, he he gives you credit that this guy uh, that we're introduced to this this young upstart has some connection to this community, right? Because he recognizes right. him immediately. Yes. He's, so so he is street cred, and he gets to wear a cool jacket. So I guess that's a thing he brings to the movie, right? The cool jacket. Um, other than that, I you know there's that that's 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 about what he's doing here. He's a cool jacket, and he's a memorable face. Right. So so just to make it absolutely clear, at the beginning of this movie. Carol Joe Hummer, played by Jan Michael, Michael Vincent, has returned from Vietnam. That's, you know, he's he's been out. People are, you know, they they respected his father who has since passed away. They like him right away. They they help him to a point and then he gets in bad with the the criminal enterprise that runs basically the whole trucking industry. One of the first people he sees is Dick Miller when he arrives at this place, who welcomes him with a smile. And I thought and th- like the sequence that happens right afterwards where he sees how corrupt everything already is. 
Dick Miller's character is just kind of in the background. So it is a little confusing when a little bit later in the film, when he's getting a little more credibility, uh, Jan Michael Vincent's character is, that he's just on his side then. He's like a good guy for the whole rest of the movie. And I mean, I love seeing Dick Miller with his big smile in this. I mean, it's half the reason that we'll pick the movie in the first place. But it is kind of an, uh, uh, maybe a little bit of an underdeveloped character. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Doug. It's it's like he he sort of sets the, the the, the film in motion by giving Jan Michael Vincent's character that warning. It's like, keep your blinders on. On and stay on the highway. It's like this That's is true. the advice yeah. of a tried and true trucker. Just you didn't see it, just go along with it. Also, he, he, has, like, a, he has a really memorable jacket, Doug. I think you're forgetting that. <laughs> Do we That's see Dick too. Miller drive a truck in this movie, by the way? Yes. He gets yes. handcuffed to a truck, right? Well, yes, so that's, that's important. <laughs> he, late, when they're when he gets out of when uh, uh, Carol gets out of prison, he goes on the CB radio, and you actually see that's Dick Miller's right. tattoos for like one of the first times on film. I think mm. uh, his own actual tattoos. Yeah, he's on the CB radio. That's the only time you see him like driving a truck, though. Well, I mean, whether it's a well-developed character or not, I guess we can argue this all day, and I'd love to, but we don't have time. But what is the performance like? What did we think of Dick Miller in White Line Fever, starting with our guest today, Will Perkins? What did you think? Uh, look, he was, like like you said, he was there a lot. He was in the background <laughs> a lot of these uh, of these scenes. But he was I there. will note that in that in that in that mob, you know, where they where they go to the place and just beat up everybody, he is the second guy through the door, uh, like <laughs> rushing in to kick some ass. Uh, and he's there, and from you know he's just he's just an acolyte of Jan Michael Vincent. He's there, he's supporting him, um, and that's what that's that's what a character like this needs. He needs good buddies who just don't just go along with it, who've got his back. And uh, no, it was it was uh, look, it's just it, like I said off the top, like it's just nice to see him all the time. And and he's it, I expected him to only be in like one scene at the beginning, but he keeps showing up, th- up that's throughout. Right. And it was great. It was great. No one is going to mourn Carol more when he gets dumped in a shallow grave. <laughs> Bertie Corman played 100%. Mike Dick Miller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lee, what did you think of his performance of this? I mean, it's fun. I mean, there, there, there's an extent to which when Dick Miller shows up, his character has a name. But whatever movie it is, he he's just Dick Miller, yeah, right? He's, right. You could really, I mean, we really should be writing a comic book about how Dick Miller is this like multiversal being who just shows up in all these narratives because Stanley he exists. Style. Yeah, he's he's like he's like a slightly more involved watcher, right? He just shows up every, all, all the time to see these different narratives, right? <laughs> That's how this feels. It, it, Honestly, when he shows up, it feels like to me what it made me think of. And maybe this is not fair. The part in the Weird Al movie where he's at the party and there's all these like recognizable people just because of like the costumes they wear and shit. Like they're just you just know like, oh, there's all these uh, the these are all like memorable weirdo rock stars that that Weird Al might have known or probably didn't. You know, that's how I feel like Dick Miller shows up. He's like the memorable part of the of the group of, you know, like whenever there's a bunch of people who get together in one of these movies, Doug, there's always a couple people that stand out. There's a big one. And then there's a, a charismatic older one who can still kick ass. That's who Dick Miller is in this. He's the, he's the charismatic older guy, but he can still kick ass. That's how I feel. You know, he's not pop, right? Pop, ex- that, that character exists to die. That's why he's there, Doug. Yeah. He's funny and he's charming. And when he dies, his shitty kid finally gets on board with the program. And uh, and that's what, that's what pop is there for. Dick Miller is also old. But can still kick ass, right? He he's still an ass kicker, and uh, and I like that. Also, he's got a big hairy friend in overalls who I yeah. still don't know. So, you know, I just just before we finish up on this conversation, there's another hairy guy in this, right? Carol and Jerry, his wife, they have a friend who's a hairy guy as well. That guy, I don't know what his whole deal is, but he should have been Dick Miller. Like Dick Miller should have been in yeah. that role instead. That hairy guy, I swear, I thought he was going to do a heel turn right up until the last frame in the movie, where we were going to find out that he was working for Kane, the Kane, Jamie Kane. Now that was apparently her brother-in-law, that, or her, her oh. brother. It was brother. Her it, it, it makes sense then why she would be so open about you know her concerns about the pregnancy and things like that. But like that guy, who the fuck is that guy? Well, he's a, her brother. I guess that's who he is. It's Kane. They, it's they, Kane. They need. They, need, <laughs> the they need at least one friend, Doug, who 
A, tells her to tell him about the pregnancy. They, but it's got to be a man, right? Because he can't trust a woman. So it's got to be a man to tell her to tell him about the pregnancy, but also who doesn't drive a truck. Someone's yeah. got to be outside the world. And literally, he is the only one. He's the only character who isn't his, uh, Jerry Michael Vincent's wife, who doesn't drive a truck. <laughs> There's got to be somebody. And that's his role, is to be that one guy. <laughs> That was 1975's White Line Fever, despite uh, Liam's reservations. I actually think it kind of kicks ass, and I was super happy to watch it, and I had a great time with it. And even if you don't care about the political lens which we have been watching it through, it's just a really entertaining movie. Uh, It very much is in the vein of Walking Tall, uh, those kind of like one guy fights back against the system type movies of that time period. And I think it is a very entertaining spin on that. Will... Perkins, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us and choosing White Line Fever for us to watch. People want to check out your work online or elsewhere. What's the best way for them to do so? Uh, Yeah, you can find uh, me editing and publishing That Shelf. Uh, There's a a larger body of work on Art of the Title that I edited for about 10 years. I'm not so involved in the site these days uh, because I have a small child. And uh, if you want to check out those things, I also have a, a small digital marketing agency and we do work in the arts and entertainment space called Continue. That's that's where you can find me online, those three places. You still on Twitter, Will? Very much so, unfortunately. <laughs> where can people find you on there? Uh, well, at William H. Perkins on Twitter. Will's a great guy, and you should follow him, and you should support all of the work that he does out in the world. Speaking of great guys who have work that you can support, Liam O'Donnell, what are you up to? I thought you were going to transition to ask me about someone else. You know, <laughs> Liam O'Donnell, tell me about blah, 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 you know. Leo, Liam O'Donnell, what's Bernie Sanders up to these days? <laughs> well, I didn't, I think that ridiculous. Just, you know, anyway. Uh, hey, uh, you know, I have podcasts, Doug, and people can hear those other podcasts, or they can listen to this one, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you head over to Cinepunks.com, you're going to find out uh, about our latest episodes, about a bunch of different shows, um, some of which I'm on, some of which I'm not. Uh, and if you head to cinemasmorrisboard.com, you, you can go into our archive. Doug, we do a lot of different shows. We do a lot mm-hmm. of different topics here at Cinemasmorrisboard. You can search by topic on the website. I think that's really intuitive. It lets people see a bunch of things. But honestly, they should also not care about that and just listen to everything we do because we're awesome. That's what I think. Mm. Uh, They can also follow Cinepunks on social media. Uh, It's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Cinema Smorgasbord is on Twitter, Doug. Cinema Smorg. It's not the whole word, Doug. That would be ridiculous. Can't fit. Couldn't fit. S-M-O-R-G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best I could do, Liam. You can find yourself over there on Twitter, at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And as Liam mentioned, yes, cinemasmorgasbord.com. And you can also uh, leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice. Or, hey, if one of the topics on Cinema Smorgasbord interests you, why don't you tell a friend about it? That's the best way to uh, let the uh, world know that this fucking podcast exists, even though we're, what, 150 fucking episodes into it. <laughs> Time to start ringing that bell. Time to let people know that it exists finally. out there in the world. Yeah, finally, indeed, 2023 will be our year. But for now, we need to close up that Dick Miller bag. We're going to be back very soon with another Dick Miller classic. Good night, everyone. Night. <laughs>